Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Bible and Banter with Mike Alex. And I am your other co-host, uh, Eric Reynolds. We're not joined by the prodigal son, Luke Copeland. Uh, but thanks, thank you, Luke, for joining us last week. That was enjoyable, a nice little reunion. What did you think? It was it was very sweet. Bittersweet. It's yeah. like a little tease. It was. It was. We 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 hope to have him back at some point soon. Um, we don't have any plans for it, but he has a standing invite. That is true. Does he know about the standing invite? I mean, with Luke, you never know. Like you could tell Luke three or four times, and he, and he might not remember. But I'm also the same way, so I'm not. You know, I'm not picking on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. I, I talked to someone on Sunday who from my church who watches the show, and they're like, "Man, it, not that the show is bad, but when Luke's there, it really helps tie everything together. It really like." I don't know what it is, man. He's almost like the, the grease. He, he, he greases the skids for us. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I hear you. Yeah. So we miss you, Luke. We miss you. How was your Thanksgiving? It was, it was really good. It was really good. We had, we kind of had two uh, because Erica's family, we had to like transplant the day and do it on a different day. We did it like a little friend, friend giving friends giving on the actual Thanksgiving day, which was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And then we hosted her family uh, on Saturday for our family Thanksgiving. So you had a Thanksgiving for the people that you wanted to spend time with. And then a Thanksgiving for the people you had to spend time with. (laughs) Is that what you're? Yes. But but (laughs) I'm not, I'm not saying that I didn't want to spend time with her family. So it was a had to and wanted to mostly. Okay. Nice safe. Nice safe. You know, I I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but uh, I guess I did. (laughs) Uh, Thankfully, none of them will pay attention to this. Except. uh, Oh well, and she's anyway. Yeah, moving on. Uh, So, so who cooked? Uh, Everyone took a little bit. Um, The friendsgiving. My uh, good buddy Derek is his name, and his wife did a lot of it. And we contributed, he cooked the turkey, we provided the turkey, but we brought some other things. I can't remember what. And then for our family one, Erica made like a cheese board. What do they call those? Um, a charcuterie board. A charcuterie board. I thought it was charcuterie. I think it's charcuterie, but we can agree to disagree on that. And uh, <laughs> and a couple pies and um, green bean casserole and and uh, yeah, so it was, and then other people like had the potatoes and this, that, and the other thing, and so it was kind of a, a group effort that came together. Okay. Well, no, it was a good time. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was good, man. I smoked a turkey, uh, which was which great experience, man. I hope to do it again soon. It was really good, best turkey I've ever had. Wow. Um, so, but it was it was really salty. So like. You couldn't taste the salt, but I had brined it in um, in a mixture that included a, a good deal of salt. You couldn't taste it when you were eating, but afterwards I could tell like my mouth was getting dry and I had to drink like a couple of bottles of water to just satiate my my need for for water. So um, yeah, yeah, uh, other than that, it was it was it was great. It was good. How long did it take to to smoke it? Probably about six or seven hours. Yeah. 
So I pretty much spent the day, like I let it sit out there for a little bit and then went out and smoked probably two or three cigars while uh, smoking the bird, talked to, and made some phone calls and text messages for, uh, you know, happy Thanksgiving. So, um, yeah, all that. It was good. You didn't, you didn't call me. Uh, well, I tried connecting with family and then, oh, you know, people okay. I, you know, I, I make like Thanksgiving uh, a day that I try to connect with people that I don't often connect with. You oh. and I, t- you and I talked throughout the week. I mean, you and I text. Um, it used to be Luke and I. Then, uh, then you replaced him. And <laughs> <laughs> well, he always complained that we were including him on things that weren't not relevant to him. So I know, I know. We would for like a good two or three weeks after he left the show, we kept him in in our little chat, and we tried to include him in the conversation. But then he was like, "Get out of my, get out of my get life." Out of, That's get how out of my it felt. Life. That's how yeah. it felt. It may not been yeah. meant, but it, that's how it felt. Yeah, we're still not over it. Clearly, because we clearly. talk about Luke at ne- ne- for nearly every episode. We've got so, some unresolved like detachment issues. I, I have abandonment issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had uh, I had to go see a psychologist a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had I had to get uh, evaluated and, and what not like not anything like super bad or anything. I have to I go regularly. Um, I say regularly, like every couple of years and uh and i'm sitting there and he's just like evaluating me and be like okay you still have these this stuff and he's like yeah you really could benefit from counseling and and unpack and i felt like really good afterwards and i was like yeah but i just don't have the time man <laughs> you know uh facts so, yeah it's true yeah. so yeah. Uh, i'm sure i could probably get over some of my abandonment issues if i made my mental health a greater priority mm. but uh anyway yeah oh well uh, <laughs> tough. <laughs> just look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself to get over it it's easier to uh, lick the wound than bandage it up right yeah yeah uh now i say that jokingly uh sure. if listen if you need help go get help Absolutely. uh if it, like yeah. don't just look in the mirror and tell yourself to get over it um but uh but i i manage my stuff fairly well or at least i think i do robin might have something else to say but um <laughs> Yeah, so I'm glad you had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, we had a good Thanksgiving. So, did you just spend it with your immediate household family? Uh, no. So, uh, a, a church member she invited us over to to spend it with her and her family, uh, which was great. And uh, so, we brought the turkey, uh, and they did pretty much everything else. So, okay. Uh, oh, yep. cool. They, yeah, nice. They, yeah, they uh, see my wife. Robin says, "Do you really though?" Uh, referring to my management of my mental health. Um, <laughs> so we should. I think we've talked about mental health on here we a have. few times. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah, so we don't need to belabor that. But no, uh, well, I think it's clear to everybody that we have mental health issues. Yeah, as <laughs> I, I think. On it, if we're honest, uh, most pastors do, uh, you know, so, so a lot of pastors have codependency, you know, they, they, and they also draw their, uh, their self-worth from their vocation, which is not healthy, which is not yep. good. Yep. So, um, call your pastor to repentance, find his worth in Christ. And then ease up on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> if your if your pastor's worth is salt, he's probably harder on himself than than you are on him. So, well, man, you're just throwing hashtag facts all over the place right now. Listen, 
you know, when I'm not Yoda tweeting, I'm just thinking of, you know, things I can say in the podcast. <laughs> you can create a hashtag for. Um, so we're gonna, so we're gonna talk about deconstruction. We've talked about it previously on a podcast, but as Mike and I were talking before coming on the show or going live, um, I feel like I've since the last time that we've talked about deconstruction, I felt like I've learned a little bit more um, and whatnot. But uh, so, so I hope to unpack some of that stuff today. Um, so, Mike, why don't you start us off? What is, as you understand it, and we haven't talked about this yet, so so I'm interested to see how how we're going to talk about this. How do you understand deconstruction? What it, what does that mean to you? Deconstruction, assuming, well, okay, what I'm assuming about deconstruction is that someone who was, let's just say for for lacking of a better term, evangelical Christian, or let's say Bible-believing conservative Christian, so to speak, deconstructs their faith to the point of either leaving the faith entirely, going to another faith, or I would even include those who may go to the more on the more liberal mainline side of faith. And so whether that happens over a period of time or, uh, and most of the time, I think it happens over some sort of period of time, whether they can, you know, pinpoint certain things or times, uh, or, but it could happen like an event happens and you just become done. But I would even say if, if your response to an event or a thing says you're done, then it was probably a process. Uh, but basically deconstruction is basically, your faith becomes deconstructed that it changes to the point that it no longer holds water holds weight as a foundation for your life. Okay. So essentially to boil all that down, Mike's take is deconstruction is deconstruction. So did they teach that at Gordon Conwell? No, we really really didn't talk about it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, So, so I think that's helpful. Let me let me build on, uh, pardon the pun, but let me build on your definition of deconstruction. So exactly, Meredith, that's what I was trying to get at. You can't use the word in the definition, dude. But uh, let let me let me let me create a, a picture for you. So think of a house, right? In in whatever house you might have already, you've built this house or it was built for you, whatever that might be. Deconstruction is kind of the same way as far as, as the faith and culture is concerned. You're what you're trying to do is to start peeling back the, the paper, the, the wallpaper. Maybe you're taking down the drywall. You're taking things out of that house, trying to get to the bones of what makes it a house. You're trying to get to, well, what, um, what, what is underneath all of this stuff? So, so I'll give you an example as I've observed largely through social media, through, um, through blogs and, and kind of in-house conversations within larger evangelicalism, um, you kind of have those who are fearful of deconstruction because it looks like people are deconstructing the faith and you have Others who are deconstructing and what they're seeking to do is peel back those things that were placed on the house of the faith that are cultural. They're trying to figure out why do we why do we do these things or why do we believe these things? Do we believe these things because of what the Bible says or do we believe these things because 
um, culture has taught us these things. So a perfect example of this is um, uh, uh, we'll use politics as an example because low hanging fruit. Um, but for a large part, at least for as long as I've been in evangelicalism, uh, it has often been identified with a specific political party, right? Like, Mike, do you, do you think that that's a fair characterization? Yes. Okay. And that, and that political party is, is which one? Democrats. I don't believe that's the answer we're looking for. <laughs> Republic, Republican. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it largely has, but you have to ask yourself, why is that the case? And, and for some, and I've observed this too, that to be evangelical, to, to be a Christian is to, is to one, be evangelical, and two, is to be a Republican. Um, and I was reflecting, this on, reflecting on this in the last couple of days, is I have trouble personally finding uh, much that is redeemable in either political party. And and I think a lot of people, if they really think critically, they would agree. But the default for many is, well, I'll just go with the Republican par Party because of a specific issue. And usually, at least with, within evangelicalism, that's in regards to abortion. Right. Um, and, and obviously, I feel like that's a very that's a critical issue. That's a critical voting issue, because I was one of the authors of the statement that we the uh, uh, the resolution on human dignity that we passed at this past triennial. Uh, however, aren't there some other things that are also important that maybe a different political party is more passionate about or more serious about, or at least they say they are? Because honestly, I don't think the Republican Party is very serious about abortion uh at all but that's that's neither here nor there um what are those eyes for i'm just saying you're 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 gaining some enemies here buddy i don't disagree with you but i i, I, <laughs> I don't i don't think that that's controversial i don't like it's it's no, it really shouldn't be. let me let me just say yeah. it shouldn't be a controversial statement um so so i think so when we start start talking about deconstruction, we're talking about, well, why is it? Why is it that I feel compelled to vote for the Republican Party? Why is it that I feel compelled that I can't call someone who's who's uh, in a mainline denomination of brother in Christ or, or anything uh, along those lines? Why? It's not saying that this isn't the best case or, or that you shouldn't do this or that or whatever. It's saying it's essentially asking the question. Why is it? Is it because of the scriptures or is it because of culture? Has there been a culture built around Christianity that's not biblical, but instead it's something other than biblical? It's man-made. Um, and so as we start, as we look at deconstruction, I think it's important for us to really get down. So I think deconstruction can be when you're talking about deconstructing the culture surrounding the faith. I think that can be a good thing because what you're trying to do is get to the heart of what does the Bible say about how we are to practice these things? How are we to understand these things? And I think that any honest expositor and exegete of the word of God, they it's foundational when they teach you how to study the Bible. You live in your own context. The Bible is written in its own context. 
you are to find the theological principles in the original context, uh, uh, the historical grammatical context of, of the scriptures, find that theological principle and then bring it forward to today. How does it apply? And that, the, and how it applies today can have some variance depending on your context, as long as it stays to the truth of scripture. So um, a lot of times, what a lot of people have, what I've observed is um, we've treated our interpretation of Scripture as inerrant, as without error, rather than Scripture itself being without error. Um, and we've kind of created this culture around that, which is uh, unhelpful at best and, and harmful at worst. So um, here, here's another example, Mike, that you and I would be familiar with because we're on, <clears throat> we're on uh, Twitter and, and all this other stuff, and, and we observe what's going on in popular evangelicalism. There's been rampant uh, sexual abuse in the church uh, for a long time. And we're learning a lot now that, that much of this abuse has been covered up by um, by those in ministry and it's done so for what they say, the sake of the gospel, it would hurt the witness of the church to, um, allow these things to get out. And as they now leak out as, as they're kind of exploding from, uh, throughout the, the world of the church. Now we're recognizing the harm that a lot of leadership has done within the church. And then we're trying a lot of people are, are deconstructing in the sense of, is this really what we're about? Is this really what Jesus is about? And on one side, you have, you have I think, the people that are trying to hold so tightly to things that as soon as you start asking questions, they anathematize you. And then you have others who say, well, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Get, get rid of the Christian faith altogether. Um, because if the Christian faith were true and accurate, then these people who've been you know, holding closely to what they claim to be the gospel would have been honest and forthright with what, what had happened rather than try to bury it. Mm-hmm. Mike, you got anything to add, man? I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying not to talk <laughs> You just too keep much talking, man. Well, please <laughs> well, <laughs> jump in. <laughs> no, it, no, um, no. I'm trying to, I want to figure out how to say this because I don't want to unnecessarily offend, but I do want to challenge us. Um, I read a, a few months ago an article about how, especially on social media, how they've done studies that either whether you're liberal or you're conservative or, or whatever, what happens oftentimes when you read an opposing view if you're not reading with that, reading that to learn, you often it often just hardens you in what you already think, mm-hmm. even if it has good arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just talking to an elder in my church last night um, as we were we were hanging out, and he he was he was exclaiming, and I was agreeing with him that it's hard to know what is true today, especially as we think about you know in the context of COVID and this that and the other thing. Um, and he's like, you know, the reality is, is it's hard to know what anything is, but also people don't realize that they have biases. 
that they've been conditioned to have biases on all spectrums, all sides of everything. And so he's, and I was, and I was agreeing with him and he was just saying, and he was like, for example, so like I've been conditioned to think so and so when so-and-so says something, it must be right. Mm -hmm. And I've been conditioned when so-and-so says something, it must be wrong because they're conservative or because they're liberal rather than going. And, and so the solution to that is hard. You know, you mm -hmm. trying to come to things with a clean slate, you can't, but knowing your biases. So if I, you know, it's unfortunate that many Christians have a bias saying, oh, it's on Fox News. So it must be in the Christian's best interest and must be right. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other side would say, oh, it's on Fox News. It must be wrong, which mm -hmm. may or, which both of those are either true or not true. And it can be the same thing. The Christian might say CNN or mainstream media is wrong, but we need to, you know, get a plethora of information before we throw those types of things out because we have to understand whether we realize it or not, we've all been conditioned by circumstances, by upbringing, by whatever to automatically think, oh, so-and-so is saying it, so it must be true. Now, that doesn't mean that you come to everybody with suspicion or skepticism or whatever, but recognizing that, you know, um, I even tell the, any good pastor would tell this of their church. When I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, look to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Don't just automatically say, Oh, he's a pastor. He must be right. Right. You know, and that, you know, it's, you know, the old adage is be a Berean, you know, mm -hmm. look in the scriptures, you know, check out what Paul is saying and does it, does it add up? Um, and, and we've kind of lost that, not necessarily when it comes to the scriptures, but we've lost that when it comes to engaging the culture mm -hmm. um, and, and how the Bible intersects with governments and cultures and all of these things. Um, we've kind of just said, well, Fox News is on our team and CNN and all those others are on the other team. The Drudge Report's on our team. You know, and all those others are, you know, Apple News is on the other team. And, yeah. you know, yeah, they might have a more liberal bent, but let's try to get a fuller picture and try to under, at least at minimum, try to understand what the other side is saying and thinking. And that's the, that's one thing I've had older people say in the church, you know, I had to get out of leadership because I just wasn't understanding where people were coming from. And I was like, and my thought is, well, try harder, <laughs> you know, don't just let things keep going and then just check out, mm -hmm. but, you know, try to sit down and, and understand, don't just check out because things are too hard to, you know, navigate and things are just changing too quickly because you don't think that way. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it's hard work. It's, it's, it can be real demoralizing for me trying to navigate it. I mean, I remember lamenting with some pastors that this whole the last past two years, especially at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, was trying to explain to each side the other side of why people are saying this, why people are doing that. And now we've kind of just gotten away from trying to explain to just hurling insults and fear mongering on all sides. Uh, but, yeah. And I think so that's a lot of what what people deconstruct over is the lack of willing to sit down and try to understand because of fear of what that could do to our own faith. Yeah. Well, so 
so two things. One, I, I recently read something about how um, some church leader, I forget who it was, but they, uh, they were speaking anecdotally. And they said that about 80% of the pastors they talked to, um, that they, the challenges they face in ministry right now and have for the last couple of years has been that they're realizing that they have very little say and very little influence as to the practices and beliefs of their church. Um, the ones who hold the most sway in their church uh, regarding teaching and regarding practice is essentially the news. It's it's uh, so they are being essentially catechized by whatever news source they they imbibe, and and you have very little say. And for many, it's like, well, what's the point of if I'm supposed to shepherd people and I don't have the opportunity to shepherd people because they're being shepherded by Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow, then um, I can't do, I can't be effective. Right. And, and I think so. So all that to, to bring to the church member, I think a lot of the people that are going through this process of deconstruction and I've gone through some of this myself and, and not, and I mean, in the best of ways, not the worst of ways in, in um, trying to really think through why do I believe what I believe? Do I believe it because of the scriptures or do I believe it because uh, I've caught this through the different churches I've served with or the different people I've listened to? Um, how much has culture cons uh, either conservative or liberal culture um, or, or just pop evangelicalism? How much of that have, have I learned through be it being caught rather than learning it from the scriptures or through um, study of theology um, so, so I think for a lot of people who are in the church, a lot of Christians, they're, they're going to look at how much their brothers and sisters in Christ are being affected, being shepherded by these, um, they're not really news. I mean, I really, it, it's hard to even call say an MSNBC or a Fox news, a news source. They really are more like propaganda machines. How do I know that? I I was an intelligence professional for eight years in the United States Army. We learned things like propaganda and, and all that. That's what a lot, a lot of this is. Um, so, so they're essentially being shepherded and taught from a propaganda source. And as, and as a past, and they, they recognize like there's not much to be said. They're like, people are unwilling to have a conversation. They're willing to have a shouting match, but they're not willing to, to exchange ideas and to think. Um, sort of like, well, does that mean everything's been a lie? I mean, I've been to church with these people for the last 30 years, 20 years, five years. I was raised here, I, this or that. And you go, and these people have been so easily persuaded by grifters and swindlers. Um, how can I trust anything that they've taught me? Well, man, this is, and so you're having this crisis, this faith crisis that a lot of people are going through. Um, and that's incredibly challenging. And I think I'm reading a book called uh, The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And um, it's a really good, it's a short read. I recommend it to anyone. And I'm about halfway through and, and the author is talking about how different the Roman approach to evangelism 
was versus the Celtic way. And the Celtic way he suggests is, is more, would be more effective for us today because there's a lot of similarities um, as um, St. Patrick and those who followed him went into Ireland and proclaimed the gospel and people came to faith and they planted churches. They did it in a very different way than the Romanists, the Romans did. The Romans did when they sought to evangelize, they sought to win people to um, their culture and then win them to Christ. The St. Patrick's way was to win them to Christ and help contextualize what it meant to practice the Christian faith within their own context. And um, he received a ton of pushback. The ones who followed Patrick received a ton of, they were uh, almost like the redheaded stepchild within Roman Catholicism at that time. So there's a lot of helpful stuff there because I think that today we are a lot similar um, to that pagan culture that the the Celts were in at that time, uh, where we don't have cult, we have cultural Christianity within cultural Christianity, but by and large, our um, culture as a nation is no longer quote unquote Christian. And to be honest, I'm not really sure our culture as a nation was all that Christian to begin with. Um, so, so I think we have the opportunity to. Uh, to share Christ and to see how those practices take shape in the culture in which the gospel is, finds root, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause that just, I kind of fleshes out a little bit what I've been thinking uh, lately, just about apologetics and evangelism and everything, because um, I follow somewhat this guy out of california preston sprinkle who does a lot of work on lgbtq stuff i thought he was in iowa or idaho i thought it was california maybe it's idaho i I don't know but he does a center center for sexuality something research Mm -hmm. stuff i listen to his podcast sometimes yeah no he he's a solid guy you know agrees with like um he's a bit um edgy in areas but he he at least affirms you know, biblical, you know, one man, one woman relationships and, and everything. Uh, but he put out a, a, uh, a video a few years ago, you know, of the different people's experiences with the church as they've wrestled with their, their sexuality and everything. And I just remember one woman's story was coming in. She sat with her pastor and confessed to her pastor that she was having you know, transgender feelings and everything. And according to her side of the story, the pastor promptly walked her to the door and asked her to leave. Um, and assuming her, she's being truthful about the story that like just flabbergasted me. I'm like, the last thing we, we need to be doing is just kicking people out. That might be coming to you to confess a struggle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and walking that painful walk of what it means to struggle with that and what it means to repent of whatever needs to be repented in that struggle. And everything, yeah. but the last thing is we, we don't need to be walking people to the door, uh, you know. For for people truly struggling with that, I'd much rather walk a person to the store to the door that thinks they've earned something within the church, and, and you know, and, and th- thinks they're entitled to something. But somebody who comes and sits and really wants to confess and wrestle through things with me, man, that's my jam. That, that's yeah. the that's the pastoral work. Yeah. Um, 
that we're here for to show that opportunity and struggle and mess to the door really broke my heart. And, and so it's, it's what I find in a lot of these deconstruction stories is it's not just theological, but there's a lot of relational ins and outs and twists uh, to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the, the one thing that I just often see is they run into somebody or they themselves are dealing with, you know, something internally relationally that doesn't quite jive with what the Bible's teaching is. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, it's easier to um, jettison what's difficult relationally than it is to try to understand and live by the scriptures. That would be the, the less pastoral way to maybe put it. Uh, you know, because I think of the, the most, one of the more recent ones was, uh, I don't know if anybody watches Rhett and Link on social media. They started off, they actually started off in What's in the Bible with Phil Vischer doing songs on his uh, puppet shows or, or whatever. Um, and then they got a big social media and a few years ago, they shared their deconversion stories. They, you know, they worked with Young Life and they were thinking about becoming Young Life leaders, yada, yada, yada. Then they got famous on YouTube or whatever and moved out to California. And the, the piece that they wrestled with was they started to work with and hire LGBTQ people and they felt bad that they, they thought their religion meant that they had to hate these people. And I'm like, well, there's your problem. <laughs> Christianity doesn't tell you to hate the LGBTQ people. It might say not to affirm their stuff and everything, but it certainly doesn't teach you to hate them. Gosh. Right. You know, so th- there's a misunderstanding there, but at the same time, it's tough to love someone and not affirm them. That That is a difficult aspect of faith. Um, and what does that look like in the church, in the working relationship and everything? And so I often find that people deconstruct because they're not just theologically. Well, and that's a theological issue as well, but also because of the day to day. How do I navigate in a difficult culture where the Bible runs up against? Um, well, if you look at if you look at how we are as a society and it's been this way for a very long time, since probably since before you and I were born. Um, that to, to disagree with someone is to, if someone disagrees with you, it means they hate you. I mean, that's that's, like, there's an adversarial relationship there and that's grown. It's grown in my lifetime. You know, I used to be able to have conversations that I disagree with certain people, um, that I disagreed with politically, but as we got older, um, I've noticed like those conversations become more char, more emotionally charged. Um, and, and which is very tragic because it makes it so that you can't have a thoughtful, critical discussion. Um, it means you have to, it's just, it's not helpful. So when we, when we look at people, you know, you and I consider ourselves Calvinistic or reformed, um, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of the differences between, you know, us and someone who's not, you know, those have been points of contention for a long time. And there are many who make their, uh, they really enjoy getting into fights on social media um, by being bombastic 
and, and we're not just saying like, hey, you know, I think you're wrong on this point. It's uh, it's you're a terrible person because you're not this or not that or putting, you know, assuming someone else's motives or assuming they would affirm something that, you know, you put words in their mouth uh, mm-hmm. along those lines. And a lot of this is on things that have never been central to the gospel. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, Denny Burke is the, uh, the, I think he's the president of the, what is it called? The The center for biblical manhood, womanhood, something like that. Yeah. 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 So um, now I, I don't even know what to call myself anymore when it comes to how I view the role of men and women in ministry. Um, because there are so many terms that have been charged emotionally that all of a sudden, if you're this, if you're that, then, then there's so much baggage, right? Um, we can't even define the term patriarchy <laughs> correctly. Like we use the term and mean very different things by it. But, um, you know, I affirm the historic view that the church has understood since its foundation that um, the role of elder is for a man. But women are called into ministry as well, but their role in ministry is different than that of an elder. Um, and Denny Burke would affirm that, but he would go even further. He would say that um, uh, he would he would say because he believes in the eternal subordination of the son that which is a heresy, by the way, it's historically a heresy. Um, he would say because of that, that um, women as a whole are subject to all men, that all men have some kind of patriarchal authority over all women, not just within the church and not just within the home and, and all that. That's what he would affirm. And he puts that under the, the, the broad blanket or umbrella of complementarianism. Um, and, and the thing is, is he uses that as a litmus test of one's fidelity to the scriptures. If you do not affirm this, then you are an unfaithful Christian. But it sees no problem with affirming what has historically been considered a heresy, which is the eternal subordination of the son in regards to the Trinity. Um, so we've used some of these it's it's folks like like him denny burke and and some others who are affiliated with him some who are in that camp that have done a lot of grave harm um within the local church and and parachurch organizations that have worked to sweep sex abuse under the rug um not just sexual abuse but um other kinds of abuse uh, abuse of, of authority um domineering type authority things that people should not be elders and pastors of churches for people that at at times should be prosecuted for when the acts are illegal um it's you look at that situation and you go i understand why people are no longer calling themselves evangelicals i understand why people are, are really taking a hard look at what they believe and trying to assess is this is this cultural or is this christian because I don't believe those two things are necessarily the same. Um, so I think there, I think there's some caution that we should have in regards to, to, to deconstruction and, and what that means, what that looks like. You have to ask, what are you deconstructing? 
Um, and I think if you're trying to deconstruct your culture, you're trying to peel back the layers of the onion to get to the core of the gospel and what the scriptures teach, and then bring that forward to understand how it applies today, I think that can be a good thing. Mm. Um, but for some, like you were talking about Rhett and Link, who who go all the, the route of de deconversion because they just feel bad because they think they're supposed to hate people, that sense of, of feeling like you need to hate people needs deconstruction. That is not what the scriptures call you to. That is not what Jesus calls you to, to hate people at all. Not at all. So, uh, you know, you th I think of the story of the woman at the well in John 4. You know, Jesus, you know, Jesus calls her out on her sin for sure. Um, now, he's also uh, omniscient. And so he knows like he knows what her sin is and he's accurate in, in his assessment. But he embraces her. Right. Like he he there there's a sense in which he embraces her um, to see her enter the kingdom of God. There's not a well, you can leave now. There's there's none of that. Right. So so just because someone is is caught up in sin has has something that you might find. Uh, I, I don't know that you're inexperienced in or, or that you just culturally feel uh, like you can't, if you're a pastor and can't embrace someone who is actively sinning, then you have to seriously look in the mirror because you're actively sinning every single day. Every single day you open your eyes. Um, you work to your own ends. You work to your own glory. Um, each of us has to confront in, and that what tell what's really telling in that story that you shared uh, through Preston Sprinkles by uh, uh, podcast is that that tells me that's a pastor who doesn't mortify his sin, who doesn't confront his sin daily. He doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't, he doesn't seek God's grace. He seeks his own self-justification. If you understand justification by faith alone, if you understand God's grace, if you understand that you are simultaneously saint and sinner, then you won't treat people that way. You just right. won't. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so do you, I may have misunderstood our thing. Do you define deconstruction and deconversion differently? Yes. So you can decon. Okay. So you're not necessarily just talking about deconstruction that leads to deconversion. You're just yeah, talking so about general deconstruction. What's been really helpful is I've been listening a lot to, um, we were talking about this before we came on air, but uh, Kristen Dumay, who's a, a professor of history over at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she recently wrote uh, this book, Jesus and John Wayne. And I think she really, uh, I didn't really like the introduction too much, but as, as I read through the rest of the book, I really appreciated it because she helps unpack the conflation or the intertwining between um, evangelical Christianity and conservative culture in the last century. I think it's very helpful and listening to like some of the podcasts she was on interviews and whatnot. She's not trying to vilify anybody, right? She's trying to, she's trying to paint a picture to help people understand this is, this is why we are where we are. This is how we got here. She's trying to map it out and paint this picture for you and then say, let's just start asking questions, right? Like, like ask yourself good questions. Does it have to be this way? I've even seen her on social media say, listen, I see speaking for, for Dume here. I see problems with complementarianism. 
That doesn't mean you can't believe in complementarianism. It just means that there's some problems with it. And I'm asking for people to address it who are in those circles. I appreciate that. I appreciate people who are like, listen, I'm not trying to tell you not to not not that, that, that what you believe over here isn't biblical, but I have noticed some problems and I think you need to answer for them. I think you need to address them. I appreciate the heck out of that. And um, and a lot of the a lot of the people who are far right conservatives um, that are evangelicals. Um, unfortunately, many of them are in our camp, Mike. They're they're reformed. Uh, many of them reformed Baptist or, or um, Presbyterian, and and it just it's insane to me. Like that, like it's 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 as if they're just completely unwilling to listen. Some of some of them fancying themselves academics, and uh, unfortunately, they have not lived up to their own uh, their own standards. So, uh, I think. I think Christianity is going to be the Christian faith evangelicalism in the, in the next 20 or 30 years, even the next 10 years is going to look very different than it has in the last 20. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping for the better. I'm not sure it's for sure. the better. Um, yeah. We'll see. Uh, yeah. I, I think what you're, you're going to see is you're going to, you're going to see the, almost like a, 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 a deconstruction of like church organizationally. And so you're going to have little more pockets of smaller congregations, so to speak, that meet more, maybe formally, but it'll have more of an informal feel, mm-hmm. uh, almost, almost house church small. I don't, I think, and I think if a, ch- a church is going to want to stay large and in charge, so to speak, they're going to have to, for at least a period of time, they're going to have to cave to some difficult things that are against scripture. Um, just the way culture is going. Um, but even that's not going to last because eventually I, I just think we're, we're going to, you know, faith is going to become more uh, neighborly um, mm. and communal than it is organizational and, and let's say structured. Uh, which is why you, which is why Mike, you should read the Celtic Way of Evangelism. Yeah, and, and I, and I uh, seriously, I, I mean that. Um, it was much more communal. It was very, very different. But again, I'm not done reading it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's good. Um, Community is huge, man. I mean, you uh, you and I were talking before coming on air about how. Um, Someone you were reading, you said it was Sky Jathani from the Holy Post podcast was critical of how we've become a sermon centric um, church gathering and how you wanted to push back a little bit against that, though, affirming some of it, or at least I said I I would affirm some of Mm -hmm. that. Um, Although I think I think our church has has uh, is beginning to turn the corner on that. I think some churches might be what guards against that is a strong liturgy. So, so your, your Presbyterians, your um, Lutherans, your method, you know, a lot of these other Anglicans that have, you know, a, a certain structure that they've had for hundreds of years that that guards against uh, what I think Sky is, is pushing back against. Hmm. Um, yeah, but the word has to be center, has to be centric. You have to be word centric, but hmm. um Church isn't just a place that you go to to listen to some guy talk mm-hmm. for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, absolutely. I agree. Talking oh, about talking for 45 minutes, I've been trying to listen to your uh, church's sermon, your sermons, man, and you guys aren't posting them anymore. Where are you going for them? I thought they were on your church's uh, web or not website, uh, Facebook page. No, sometimes we do. You have to go to our YouTube page to snag them. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, Mark Wolfington, Dr. Mark Wolfington says that preaching in some liturgical churches is pretty weak. So we need a balance. A hundred percent. Amen. I agree with that. Yeah. Could not agree. It's almost like it's, I would call the, a lot of the churches have reformed that to like homilies, little devotional thoughts at the end of the, or in the midst of the service. And no, you're absolutely right, Mark. You know, there's a balance. There's Uh, great value in preaching, but people have to understand that they are not passive participants or passive onlookers. They should be active, uh, not only actively listening and engaging with what uh, is being taught, but they should be active and engaging through prayer and through singing and through the pray. You know, if your church includes, 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 my goodness, includes praises and prayer requests, right? So they should be active, actively uh, engaging and all that. Mm. So, and Martin, Dr. Mark is correct. Spectator Christianity is not true Christianity. 100%. Yep. Yep. It was actually kind of cute, man. The last couple of weeks, uh, Matt's been preaching. And um, that's not the cute part, by the way. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Matt loves to hear his preaching described as cute. <laughs> uh, no, he's solid, man. Dude, Matt's, Matt's great. Uh, I'm just, I'm just hoping no churches try to, uh, I'm just hoping like no churches try to look up our church and look up him and see his sermons and try and snag him. Uh, Cause the dude, we need him. Uh, he's awesome. But um, no, I've been able to sit down and, and worship with my family and, um, it was cute because my daughter, who's 11, was sitting there right next to me, man, like with with a big old Bible open right next to mine, like reading as I'm reading, as as Matt's reading. And it was just it was really cool. It was really neat. And you got to be active, man. You got to be active. And if you're blessed as a pastor to be able to sit with your family and listen to someone else preach in your church so that you can model what active listening looks like and active participation through the teaching, do it. Do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yep. That's uh, that's it. Nice job, buddy. Nice job at what? Being you. You're just, you're just good. You're good at everything you do. No, that's not true. We talked about that before coming <laughs> in. <laughs> that's not true. I'm bad at a good number of things, but I appreciate you. Let's. Can you list them? I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I can't think of any. Uh, I, I'm bad at, it's kind of like a job interview. You're going for a job interview. They're like, so what are your greatest weaknesses? And you got to turn those weaknesses into positives. You know, I just care too much. Okay, I care too much. <laughs> <laughs> I work too hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, nice. I'm trying to think. I'm kind of done talking about deconstruction. Is there any some? Is there some positive stuff we can talk about? Like I want to. I want to be happy today. Make me happy. Can you make me happy, Mike? Give me something good. <laughs> Tell me something good. Uh, I, you know, um, 
this past Sunday was I probably tick, ticked some people off, but that's just the nature of life right now. But th I felt this Sunday was pretty good. We had a good Sunday. We we had a you know we've got a couple new families in the church and just it just had a good vibe uh, this past Sunday. Um, after very very some very you know difficult days, so um, it was good. It was a good Sunday. You know what you should have done? Do you guys have a Twitter account? No, uh, we don't either. Uh, which is a good thing, but. Um, there's after every Carolina Hurricanes hockey game on Twitter, there's a, there's a reporter that tweets, let me get a vibe check and people like share what, the, how they're feeling after mm -hmm. the game and whatnot. We should do that. Do like no. a vibe check after church. Like I, I could not handle that because as soon as <laughs> like, there could be 20, 20,000 like good vibes. And then like one bad vibe would just totally floor me for the for the what? next three three weeks you know the old adage adage one bad vibe spoils yeah. the whole bunch yeah. yeah absolutely uh yeah yeah i mean if everybody else is vibing and you're not you're probably the problem yeah 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 thanks well are you, were you, you just said it was <laughs> great man i'm assuming you were vibing <laughs> i was vibing i, I was yeah. it was anyway yeah. So we started watching a few weeks ago. You ever watched the sitcom, How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Which is always the most difficult, like, hey, do you want to watch How I Met Your Mother? And like, Robin will ask me that and I'll go, my mom's dead, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's totally something I would say to Eric. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if like, I wonder if you and Erica are like the, like mirror Robin and I, like we're exactly the same, just dislocate. We're not in the same place, but, uh, but we go, I mean, that's every night, man. And, um, so this is like the second time I watched it when I was in the army and, and, uh, it was, it was a really popular then, but, um, so that's kind of been my good thing, man. It's been really fun. Um, Yeah. Erica says she laughs because she's uncomfortable and that makes it worse. Yeah, because you're isn't your mom dead? Mine? Yeah. 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 Two, 2000, wow. uh, 2012. Man. Yep. Two, two, uh, July 11th of 2012. About just a little over two months before the birth of my first son. Uh, um. I thought we were trying to talk about good things and, and crazy, crazy thing <laughs> about a year before that. When I saw my mom, I told my wife in our apartment, I'm like, I don't think my mom's going to be around much longer. To, you said to the day, not to the day, but a, a, about a year before that. Cause she's, she was just, I, I could sense something wasn't going on physically. Right. Mm. But yeah, that's rough. So, you just had to bring up how I met your mother. Yeah. So have you guys watched <laughs> that together? How I, uh... In the past. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we've ever, a, a, a long time ago. I think we made our way through the series, but actually Erica just watched it on her own. Um, the whole, the whole series. It's a pretty funny show. I think we're in like, we're in the second to last season, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. No, we it's... just finished watching the what if series for Marvel trying to get ready for uh, the new Spider-Man movie coming up. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we, we've changed the name of the show to how Ted met his kid's mother. 
That's how we have to define it now. So I know I hated how the series. I hated how it all ended. No, don't spoil it for Robin. I, I know how it ends, but don't uh, spoil it for Robin. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There are worse endings to television shows. True. Uh, so, there are. So there are. this isn't even the top fifty of the worst endings, but it's it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of. I already set Robin up. I told her we got some other shows on Netflix that we can that we can hang out to. Um, no, yeah. that would have actually been a better ending, if in my opinion, like a, if they all died, ending, like some sort of died. emotional like. So, so Mike, that that reminds me. So, uh, the best way for us to end the show today would be talking about preaching mistakes, because you mentioned to Luke and I <laughs> that you made a huge mistake. And and wait, hold on. <laughs> Erica asked, "Chill." Uh, I'm a. I don't. I don't say Netflix and chill because I know the connotation there. I'm. I'm a little bit more uh, astute than than Michael. But um, let me find this text there because. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. I essentially responded to what you shared was like, is, is your sole goal in life <laughs> to embarrass your wife in every single sermon? And then was like, man, what's it? That's how I asked, like, oh, do do her parents go to the church? Does her family go to the church? And if so, like, my goodness, do they get all red in the face, too? But anyway, I can't find it. So so share your, your full no, pod this it's past. Not, it's not Bible and banter appropriate. Like... <laughs> It's wor- right, so, was it so, worse than the Netflix and chill? I feel like yes, because this was so. Okay, maybe I asked maybe. a few people. I asked a few people after after church if they caught it, and no one noticed it. So, uh, but I was preaching, and I was I was trying <laughs> to work to the, the point, and I meant to say, "Let's get to the meat and potatoes." Uh huh. <laughs> Wait, let, let's just let's just leave everybody in suspense. They can go and listen to the sermon. They can go listen to the sermon. It was this past Sunday, right? Yes. Yeah. So because... just assume that way no one will feel no one will feel bad if you if it wasn't appropriate. Then go and listen right. um if they want to. But just know that that Mike accidentally meant to say meat and potatoes but said something different that came off or sounded bad. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> and Joanne, so, our executive assistant, uh, administrative assistant. There should be, there should be. So in some churches, this is actually pretty common in, from my understanding and listening to other folks in the black church, that they have someone called an armor bearer. And it's someone who like holds the jacket and like, it's kind of like a personal assistant to the pastor. Um, and, and, like I, I'm wondering that if in your church, again in the black church, they refer to the pastor's wife as the first lady. If if uh, your church should bring someone on staff that can be the first lady's um, consult, essentially to to kind of be there for her uh, whenever her husband, you know, <laughs> says things inappropriate from the pulpit. <laughs> that would probably be helpful. Yeah. Um, yep. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I want to share with you my own faux pas because it's probably worse than what you said. I um, So most of you know my time in the Army. Uh, I, I tell people when I was 23 years old in the Army, I was very skilled at using certain profanities multiple times in a sentence and in dialogue in multiple different ways. I'll let you imagine that for a moment. 
Um, but there's also cultural terms and phrases that were common in the army and are even common outside the army that to me coming into the church, I don't understand. I don't know if they are okay to say or not okay to say. I just don't know. And then sometimes I'm saying something and have to stop because I realize this might not be appropriate to say. And because I'm not a manuscript preacher, my church has to deal with me sometimes starting a thought and then stopping the thought and saying, Hey, I'm sorry. This probably isn't appropriate. I didn't realize it when I started. Um, anyway, <laughs> a couple of Sundays ago, I, um, I used the phrase, you can hope in one hand and do something in the other, but I'm not going to finish that one. You guys can, you guys can fill in the blank. And I, and I got like all red in the face because I had to like stop for a moment <laughs> and like collect myself because like, I almost just <laughs> like cussed in front of a hundred people, you know, and a bunch of kids and, and whatever. Um, and I didn't intend to, like, I wasn't trying to be cool. I, I wasn't trying to like, it was just, that's a common phrase. I don't use that phrase very often. I might think the phrase, but I don't often say the phrase in, in mixed company or, or any company rather. But um, so you're not the only one, Mike, it happens to, mm -hmm. to all of us. Yeah. Happens to, to, to the worst of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> hey, you know who was there for that sermon? So you could ask him. Natty B. Bigfoot? Yeah. He was up what? visiting the family. He was he had to endure a sermon from me. Oh my did he did he give you his critique yet? No, he was very kind. His his family's very sweet. Uh-huh. He's got a very sweet family. So no. Yeah, because his father's an elder of your church, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, Nathaniel's great. He is very kind, very gentle, yeah. very, very intelligent. Um I always appreciate him critiquing everything I do. <laughs> He's the reason I have to go see a psychologist. Once hey, again. but my sermon series is I'm preaching through hymns of Advent. And so I, uh -huh. each week I take a wait, Advent hymn. You're wait, you're preaching through hymns. Ba yeah. Basically getting to like the point in the theology in, in, in Christmas hymns that are in our hymnal. And so we went through for the God, for the, of the father's love begotten, which I never really realized was an Advent hymn and going through the history and the teaching of it. And I referenced the council of Nicaea and the creeds. So you'd be real happy. I know you're judging me because I'm saying I'm preaching from the hymns. I know that's why you're being all judgy. My deceased mother once said, if you can't say anything nice at all, don't say it. <laughs> if you can't say something... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, I, 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 without, without really you unpacking what that looks like, I, I'm, listen, I, sometimes you got to do a topical series. Um, and, and I think that there is a place, a place for that for sure. I think good, I think good biblical preaching is also good theological preaching. Um, and using a, you know, using a hymn that is based on specific scripture could be, could be helpful. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Hey, that's your, that's your approach, man. You know, 
some churches are conformed by the world and others, the scriptures. So um, <laughs> there it is. There's the humility. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it was great, man. Uh, and especially if, especially if Bigford hasn't like messaged me and been like, "Man, you need to get on mic." Uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm sure, if, I'm sure if Bigford was like offended. He would have been like, "You need to get on your man." Like he, uh, your boy, your boy's messing up over there. But yeah. Well, as my wife says, wait, hymns aren't scripture, and and. That's actually why I'm going through them to say, are these things even that we're singing scriptural? Are we even thinking about what we're saying, even if mm -hmm. we've done it for centuries? You know, the greatest hymn of all time. What's that? What, what do you think is the greatest hymn of all time? Of all time? Oh, yeah. God. What's your favorite hymn? My favorite hymn? Like if you had one choice, like one banger. Give it to me. Probably before the throne of God above. I don't know if I've heard that one. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so in my study of some of these hymns and everything, I found how hymns have changed over the years. Uh -huh. And it made me think just the other day on Twitter, some snarky, annoying um, reformed guy posted, you know, the chorus to amazing something like the chorus to amazing grace isn't my chains are gone. He's like, you know, amazing grace doesn't need a chorus or whatever. And I'm like, dude, do you understand how many hymns that the church has sung that have been edited and, you know, translated and things omitted or things added over the centuries? Like get off your theological high horse and shut up. But anyway, yeah, you so these basic reformed guys who sit around <laughs> drinking whiskey and craft beer all day while smoking their pipes <laughs> with long beards and flannel <laughs> and their hipster glasses. <clears throat> so what's your f favorite best hymn of all time? <laughs> uh, dude. So literally there's only, there's only one hymn that almost every time hits. Mm-hmm. Actually, every time it hits, man, it almost brings a tear to my eye. And that is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Mm -hmm. Written by Martin Luther. Or as my kids think uh, think of Martin Luther, they think of him as Martin Luther King. They don't know yet know the difference. <laughs> they haven't yet realized the difference between the German drunk monk and and the uh, and Martin Luther King, the the civil rights leader. Yeah. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. Yeah. Um, I there, There's also just something about turn your eyes upon Jesus that hits me often. But anyway, no, before the throne is probably my my one. Mm. But I don't even know what year it was written. It's I don't think it's as uh, time tested as a mighty fortress, but. I, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know anything about hymns and all. I just, it's nothing I've ever studied and, and mm -hmm. not growing up in the church. You know, I, I started off going to more contemporary church. So right. um, yeah. Robin says that says something about our kid's teacher. 
that they don't know the difference. They're learning the difference. It, it's an easy mistake. Martin Luther and then Martin Luther King. Uh, well, the know. general populace talks about Martin Luther King more than they talk about Martin Luther. So it's, it's yeah. to be understood. That's understood. And it's, and, and, uh, large, it has more contemporary relevance. Um, though, one could actually, I think TGC wrote an article like a couple of years ago that without the Reformation, there would be no America as we know it today. Um, and I think they're right. They, they're like, without John Calvin, there'd be the, there'd be no United States. So you could say that Calvin, um, you know, he obviously is a contemporary, but came a little bit after Luther. Um, Cal Calvin ha has a little bit more significance to the United States than Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Based on that logic, so right, um, yeah, yep. So that's it. That's it. that's all I got to say about that, Mike. Um, hey, have you made your? Have you scheduled? Have you made your arrangements for uh, the leaders' conference yet? No. Why not? Honestly, I don't remember. I, I, Mike, I'm not remembering. Mike. Do you know who Matthew Barrett is? No. How are you on Twitter and not know who Matthew Barrett is? I, I don't know. What's wrong with you? Oh, okay. Do you that's follow? A, that'll take a whole episode. Okay. Do you follow Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? I don't think so. Do you follow Thomas Kidd? No. I don't even. What about Jared C. Wilson? Yes. Okay. Okay. So Matthew Barrett is a professor of Christian theology at Midwestern and wrote this phenomenal book, Simply Trinity, the unmanipulated father, son, and spirit. This came out this past year. Um, and it's a phenomenal work. Guess what, Mike? Are we getting it free? Everybody is getting a copy free sponsored by Hickory Grove Everett Christian Church of Four Oaks, oh, North Carolina. That's very nice of you guys. Yeah, yeah. So um, we worked with the publisher to get a discounted rate, and uh, it is a phenomenal work. I'm super excited. So um, essentially, if you love God, you should go to um, Ever Christian Leaders Conference because you'll get a free book in how to better understand um, who God is uh, in his nature and his economy. So it's a, uh, it's a relevant work. It's one that's really, it's incredibly important for today, especially in our context. One that is rigorously uh, researched, but popularly written. So I'm excited to be able to give those out to everybody. Boom. Are you looking at the flyer, Mike? I am. Are you going? You're going, right? I don't know. I haven't registered yet. Uh, <laughs> although we've got our, we've got our hotel room down there. So when's the deadline to register? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. You have the thing right in front of you, don't you? The flyer? postmark by January 15th of 2022. Oh, I got so plenty that, of time to, yeah, yeah. to procrastinate. Yeah. Um, the big thing is you got to, they only have limited availability down there for, for hotels. Someone told me they only have like maybe 20 hotel rooms. So that's like 20 or 25. And I think it's two per hotel room. So that's only like 50. Um, oh, but that's Groundhog's Day is on that. And I celebrate that privately. 
And how do you celebrate it? By reliving every bad thing I've encountered in my life. <laughs> oh, wait, that's every day. <laughs> <laughs> so Erica said you're going. So that's good. Why don't you why don't you bring her and the kids? <laughs> that would be a disaster. Why? Children. Children oh. make everything much more stressful. Does Erica enjoy going to uh Oh yeah, absolutely. Anything we've gone to together, she's she's enjoyed. Like back before kids, she would come to like Eastern Region and and different things. I remember I think I met the first time I met her and I, maybe I only met her one time in person, but it was at Eastern region. Yep. At the, yeah. at, in Rochester. At, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Robin has absolutely zero interest in anything um, outside the local church. It's yeah. It's uh, yeah. Yep. So, which is perfectly fine. Um, she lets me nerd out and talk about whatever. And she goes, Okay. Go take out the trash, please. <laughs> so <laughs> do your job, old man. <laughs> um but uh yeah, should be fun. Should should be fun. There's plenty of time to hang out. There's plenty of time to um you know kick back and chill. How about this? If you can get a thousand people to send me a message of you need to go, then I'll go. No, we don't. Do we even have a thousand people in our denomination at this point? <laughs> um, Mike, what is it going to take to get you to go? I honestly don't know. Just the idea of traveling, especially that time of year, stresses me out. Dude, you can you can fly into Raleigh again, and then you can drive down with uh with Matt Rice and I. I'm not making any commitments in public right now. Why? Why do you? Why do you hate us? I don't hate anybody. We can we can enjoy some cigars on the way down. That, well, uh, that if I'm flying down to you and then tr driving, that's more time away from home. But it's enjoyable time. You get to hang out with the boys. It's true. It's true. Yeah. No, if if I go, it'll be a straight. It'll be a fl whatever flights I can arrange to get down down there. Was it you who sent me something about? I think someone sent me a text the other day about a uh, cigar shop that might be near there. Or was maybe it, it was, was definitely else? not me. Oh. Okay. Oh, that's a Mark. That's a very generous offer. Man, wait, Mark will buy Waffle House? I think that's what he's offering. Is he offering to buy Waffle House for both of us or just you? <laughs> I think it's just me. <laughs> He'll offer to let you watch me eat at Waffle House. Um, I love waffles. So I like I, I like pancakes. I love waffles. And I love French toast. Yeah, I've never been to a Waffle House. I've been to a Denny's, I've been to an IHOP, but I've never been to a Waffle House. Man. There's none none here in the Northeast <laughs> that I'm aware of. Mark said he's got a coupon. I can come. 
Yes, that's good. So see, you got to come, Mike. <laughs> now, hanging out with Mark is worth getting a thousand people to tell you you should go. Mark's his own army, man. Yeah. Mark, a graduate of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is where Matt Barrett is a professor. Good yeah. stock from there. Huh? It, all, it all ties together, man. Um, yeah. Well, before we get off the air, you got any... Uh, you got anything, anything fun, anything nice to share? Any, anything? No, nope. do you? I don't think so. No, nope. okay. I think I'm talked out for the day. Me too. Now we can get off air. Now we can, you know, go back to jibber jabbering and, uh, you know, talking smack about, uh, I don't know. We don't really talk smack about anybody. There's no time in the day to focus on other people negatively. No. no. We should. We Although, should work. That's being... not true. We find people. We can find times to be negative. I've found. I'm not saying I'm not negative at times. Uh, the last few days, I can't share on air, but I, there's been something that has been up my craw, man. Like I, like I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> they deserve it. <laughs> so uh, they deserve my ire. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Uh, Mike, let's uh, let's give the people a break. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next Tuesday for Bible and Banter. Um, maybe we'll get back to some of those suggestions for show topics. If maybe. not, you can send us your show topics. Most of you know how to get in contact with us either through Facebook or other means. So we'll talk to you, or we'll see you guys soon. Ah.